Well, good morning. How's everyone? Well, we're going to start in the green book on page 14. And 15. And 15. Thank you. Standing at the portal 
page 92 and top part of 93. And if everyone that will, if y'all want to stand. Romans 10 this morning, uh, starting with verse number 5. We talked about the plan of salvation last week, and now we're going to talk about the way of salvation. Uh, we've got three witnesses this morning we're going to hear from that's going to testify that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. That's the only way. We've got three witnesses that's going to testify to that fact this morning. 
And the first one we're going to hear from is from the righteousness which is of the law. The righteousness which is of the law. A written testimony is just as good as a spoken testimony, maybe better. Because then you can see over and over again just exactly what was said. And the Bible tells us here in Romans 10 verse 5, says, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. The word describeth there means to engrave or to write. God wrote the law on tablets of stone. The Bible says he engraved them with his finger. He wrote them and he engraved them. And so the law was written down for man to read and to know just exactly what God expected of, of, of man. And the Bible teaches that if you can live by that law, you can receive eternal life. Uh, Leviticus 18.5 says, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. And, and you read from some of the ancient Greek writings, I mean uh, Hebrew writings, that they understood that that meant that if you keep the law, you can gain eternal life by it. The only problem is nobody can keep it. And you have to keep it perfectly. Jesus met a lot of people in his day that said that they had kept the law. And Jesus tried to teach with the Sermon on the Mount. He wanted people to understand that keeping the law wasn't just an outward appearance, but it was an attitude of the heart. And he wanted you to understand that if you didn't keep the law perfectly, then you had broken the whole law. If you break one part of it, just one little bit, James 2 verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So if you could keep the law perfectly while you lived here on this earth, then you could go to heaven and have eternal life and rightfully so you would have earned it but the scripture teaches us that nobody can do that the law actually was to show us that we couldn't live up to God's righteous standard and we needed another way to be saved so guess that would be a way of salvation if we could do it. Remember Romans taught us that the law is perfect, the law is right, the law is good. The problem is our flesh. Our flesh can't keep it. So now we've heard from the <clears throat> righteousness which is of the law. Next we hear from the righteousness which is of faith. And he tells us here that the righteousness which is of faith speaks to us. Verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. So now keep in mind what we're reading here. We're hearing from the righteousness which is of faith. This is what he has to say to you and me. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, 
Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? Here's what the righteousness which is of faith has to say. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's what the righteousness that is of faith has to say to you and me. That it's not about our works. It's about our faith. We can't work our way into righteousness. And the, the righteousness which is of faith says there's no work necessary. Isn't that good news? Here I am trying to work my way into God's favor and I can't do it. And I've reached the end of my rope. I'm hopeless. I'm desperate. And the righteousness which is of faith comes to me and says, relax. There's no work on your part necessary. There was work necessary, but somebody that was capable of doing the work did it for us. And his name is Jesus Christ. So you see, in contrast, what he's telling us here is that we don't have to do the work. It's already been done for us. All we have to do is believe that the work that Christ done on our behalf is sufficient. Isn't that good news? He says, you don't have to go up into heaven and bring Christ down to earth to save you. You don't have to try to go into the depths and bring him up from the grave again in order to save you. That's already been done. God already sent him to this earth. God already resurrected him. It's already been done. You don't have to do that. He says, because remember, Romans 10.4 tells us that for, the, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The reason Christ is the end of the law is because Christ fulfilled the law on our behalf. And all we have to do is believe that. He says, verse 8, everything you need to be saved is at hand. Everything you and I need is right here with you right now at this very moment in time. says all you have to do is realize that saving faith is near you. It's right there. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. You can read Deuteronomy 30 verses 12 through 14 and see where he gets this Old Testament thought from. It's a proclamation of faith in the gospel message that is being preached by the apostle. 
the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. You believe that, you confess that, you're saved. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, you can read that sometime, tells us. Paul, Paul says right there, he says, this is the gospel that I'm preaching, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised according to the scriptures, he says, and you believe that. And that's what saves you. Notice he says, according to the scriptures. In other words, if you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, then you're going to believe that he also died on the cross for your sins. You're going to believe he was buried. You're going to believe he was raised. You know he did that on your behalf. He says in verse 9 that, and I want you to notice before I move on, he says that the word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now, there's a phrase that goes around in the Christian community today called word of faith. That's a different thought than what is spoken of right here. Word of faith preachers, they glorify faith, not Jesus Christ. They say that faith is some kind of inanimate power that even God himself has to use to do his work, okay? And they say that you and I can learn how to tap into that same power and that we can do the works of God ourselves. They teach this idea of us being little gods. That's why people like Kenneth Copeland and people like that can say that they can control the weather and that they can do all kind of things like that. They can control sicknesses and all that kind of stuff because they're trying to say that, that they are a little god that can tap into this power of faith and by belief, just by having that faith in themselves, they can do these things just like God. So don't be confused. When you hear this phrase, word of faith, in the Christian community, it doesn't mean what you think it means. People, people treat faith in the Christian community a lot of times like uh, Star Wars talks about the force that it's just some power out in the universe that if you can tap into it and you can learn to control it, then you can make things happen the way you want them to happen. That's why they preach all this deal about health and wealth. They're trying to tell you that if you have enough faith, you can just make wealth come to you. If you have enough faith, you can just make health come to you. Don't buy into that. Faith is not some power. Faith does you no good unless it's in the right object. Okay? You can have faith in yourself to save you and it will fail. You can have faith in your ability to keep the law and it will fail. You can have faith in your power to tap into the power of the universe to save you 
and it will fail. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work as your Savior and Lord, then that will save you. Jesus is the object of our faith. And you have to be careful. People sing these songs about this is what faith can do. Faith can't do a thing. Faith is no power at all. Faith only works if it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where your power is. Is the object of your faith, not faith itself. It's just like prayer. People will say, I believe in the power of prayer. Why? People pray to all kind of things. Prayer does nothing. It's the object of your prayer. It's, it's, it's the place where you're, it's the person you're praying to. He has the power to make things happen. It's not your prayer. What's your prayer got? What, how's your prayer any better than anybody else's? It's the person you pray to. He's the power. So don't get confused with this. Paul says here that the way to be saved is near you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. It's the word of faith, he says, and you notice he says, which we preach. Many times throughout the New Testament, Paul talks about, he says, my gospel. My gospel. My gospel. There's a lot of people today preaching the gospel message, but they're preaching a false gospel message, just like the word of faith. They're preaching a gospel message, if you will, that you can be saved by your own Abilities. That's false. Don't believe that gospel message. You have to believe the gospel message of the Bible. Paul was the apostle sent by God, by Jesus Christ, to the Gentile nations. He's the one that God used to preach the gospel to us. It's his gospel message that we have to believe if we're going to be saved. Just turn with me, if you will. Let's just take a minute and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, And look at the first four verses there. If you ever want a clear uh, explanation of the gospel message to share with someone, this is as clear as I know of. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye have received and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved you hear that he says the gospel message I preached you received it you're standing in it you're believing it and that saves you if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain there's people that might hear the gospel message and say, yeah, I agree with that and go on and it never really make a real difference in their life because they really don't believe it in their heart and they're not willing to confess it with their mouth. You see, they believe in vain. I worry about people that say, 
you know, when I was a little kid, I, I gave my life to Christ or whatever. But then maybe there was no real change in their life. Maybe there was no real evidence of that being something that really saved their soul. Um, of course, that's between them and God, and God can handle that. But, you know, you have to be careful about saying that I'm saved because I know I, I, I did something at a point in time. It wasn't about what you did. It was about what went on inside, what you believe, and what, it, what that belief has done to your life. And I'm not saying that people necessarily change in some real miraculous way, you know. I, I'm not saying that. You can't always tell by looking at people's behavior uh, whether they're truly saved or not. I understand that. But I think that's what he's saying here about believing in vain. It's just something that you just sort of went through the motions but didn't make a real difference in your life. But he says, verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The Old Testament is what he's talking about. It's full of prophecy that Jesus was coming to die for our sins. And he says, Jesus did that. He came and he died according to the Scriptures. Verse 4 says, And he was buried... And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now that's the gospel message. And that's all you have to believe to be saved. So he says it's near you, it's in your heart and in your mouth. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead... Thou shalt be saved. Now, don't divide this up into in your mind into two separate things. This is really uh, all one in the same. Believing and confessing go together just like a hand in a glove. Believing and confessing is just like uh, a coin. You've got two sides. It's one coin got two sides it, it, it all goes together it's the same thing uh, one you really can't have one without the other believing and confessing what's he talking about here he says believe in your heart uh, he says confess with your mouth first that Jesus is Lord the word Lord here is kurios which is the same Greek word that is used in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, to translate God's name, Jehovah. Okay? So when he used this word here, he's saying that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Jehovah. That Jesus is the one true God. That Jesus is the God that created all things. It's just a confession and agreement that you know that Jesus is God. You'd be surprised at the people that will talk about Jesus, but then don't believe that He is God. You see the word of faith preachers, 
They don't believe Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus died. They believe that Jesus was born as just a man. That some kind of Christ spirit come upon him while he was doing his ministry. That it left him while he was dying on the cross and he died as just a man. That he went to hell and fought with the devil and gained eternal life for himself and shows us an example that if we follow him in his example that we can gain eternal life for ourselves. They're not confessing that he is God. That's important. You can't be saved if you don't believe Jesus is God. He says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. What did verse 6 say? You don't have to go into heaven to bring Christ down. Who lives in heaven? Who lives in heaven? God. That's what that verse is telling us. You don't have to bring God down to, to earth to save you because He's already come. He's already come down. You don't have to do that. Then likewise, He says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. Verse 7 also said, And you don't have to go down in the depth and raise Christ up from the dead. That's already been done. There's no work on your part. The work's been done. God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. He sent Him down to us. Jesus said that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that all that come unto Him could live and not die. Jesus came just like the Scripture said. Born of a virgin. That's important. Why? Because if He wasn't born of a virgin, then He's not God. Jesus couldn't have an earthly father and be God. He has a heavenly father. Just like the scriptures said. That's what Paul said when he said, according to the scriptures. There's people today that say, oh, the virgin birth is not important to your salvation. Oh, yes, it is. Because just like the scripture says, the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. That baby that was in her womb was the seed of God. Jesus was not born a man or a human. He was born God. Jesus was a unique person because he's 100% God and he's 100% human. Okay? 100% man. That's why he had to have an earthly brother. Do you understand that it was just as important for him to be man as it was for him to be God in order to save us? He had to be one of us to be our near kinsman redeemer. So through Mary, 
the seed of the woman that God talked about in Genesis chapter 3. He already knew all this was coming. The seed of the woman, see, our kinsman redeemer, son of God, son of man, the God-man. Nobody else could do this for us. Being God, he's perfect, sinless. Being man, he's one of us. And as a perfect, sinless man, he went to the cross on our behalf. He become our sacrificial lamb. He was our sacrifice offered to God on our behalf to forgive our sins and to save us. That's why the Bible says you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead because after he... And look, if you believe in the resurrection, you believe in his death on the cross and his burial. His death on the cross paid for our sins. Being put in the grave was representative of of death. He died. He physically died. The wages of sin is death. He took a physical death for us. But then three days later, he was resurrected to new life. And that's our hope in him, that when this old body dies, as his body died, that we will be resurrected with a new body just like his to have eternal life. So confess with your mouth that Jesus is God and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead that saves you. Now here in this verse, those two words are in a tense that just means a one, one-time thing. They're in a tense that just means a, a once and for all confession, a once and for all belief. And, and it's, in, it's in a mode that says that, you know, you may do it. It's up to you. If you confess, if you believe. So yes, I think it's indicating right there that that once you do that, you're saved right then forever. It is a one-time act that you have to do. You believe, you confess, it's genuine, you're saved. But then you'll see in the next verse, verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation those two verbs there believeth and confession are in a, 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 the present tense which means it's, it's a continuous and an ongoing action so you see I believe that if, you're, if your first time confession and your first time belief is genuine You'll continue in that. Every minute of every day. You get up every day and again you're still confessing that Jesus is Lord and you're still believing that God raised Him from the dead. That's just continuing proof that your first time confession and belief was genuine. That's that's believing uh, in a way that will do you good in eternity. The people that believe in vain might make that first time and then don't think any more about it. 
But if it's genuine, it'll continue to be a part of your life every day. It'll affect the way you live. It'll affect the way you believe. See, if you truly believe that Jesus is God, it's going to affect the way you live your life. If you truly believe that he has saved your soul, it will affect the way you live your life. He says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. The word righteousness there is the same word that is translated justification in uh, Romans 5.1, I believe it is. It says, therefore now being justified by faith. So he's saying right here, that with the heart man believeth unto righteousness or justification. When you believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, was raised from the grave, that belief makes you right in the sight of God. Why? Because you believe that Jesus did it all on your behalf. You can't keep the law. Jesus kept it for you. And just the fact that you believe in His work being sufficient for you that makes you right with God. Isn't that something? It's not about what me and you do. You believe that He did it for you. And that act is what makes you justified before God. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. When you confess, and that just means to speak the same thing. When you agree with the Word of God, you agree with the Holy Spirit, Jesus is God, that confession gives you salvation totally and completely. And the reason I say that this is not two different things is because a heart that truly believes cannot help but have a mouth that will confess. And a mouth that truly confesses has to have a heart that believes. You read in Romans 7, uh, not Romans 7, in Matthew 7, I don't know if I even have that there or not, but you know where it talks about that there'll be people that'll say uh, that they call Jesus Lord. They confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, but they didn't believe in their heart. Makes me think of the word of faith crowd. They want to talk about the Lord Jesus, but in their heart they don't believe He's God. They claim to go around doing all kind of wonderful works in His name, but they don't believe He's God. And there'll come a day when they'll stand before God and say, look at all the wonderful things we did in your name. And he'll say, I don't know who you are. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. See, people can confess with their mouth and not believe in their heart. People can say they believe in their heart, but when it comes right down to it, not be willing to confess with their mouth. See, one reason this was so important in Paul's day is because no Jew would confess Jesus as Lord. They didn't believe He was God. 
They didn't believe he was Jehovah of the Old Testament. That would have been blasphemy. That's why they killed him. That's, that's, that was the charge that they brought against Jesus, was blasphemy. He claims to be God. And we know he's not God. So they wouldn't call him Lord. And all the Gentiles that were Roman citizens, they called Caesar Lord. Right? So they wouldn't confess Jesus as Lord. That's what got the Christians killed early on was that they wouldn't confess Caesar as Lord. Now listen, when you're facing the lines and you're told you confess Caesar as Lord or we'll throw you to these lines and you stand there and you say, I can't do that. He's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's a heart that believes. I mean, think about it. You know you're fixing to be thrown to the lines. That's faith. And that's what he's saying here is. A heart that believes and a mouth that confesses. You can come to church. You can go through the motions. You can talk all the church talk you want to. But when it comes right down to it, and you're facing trouble, and you're told, hey, just don't, don't confess Jesus as Lord. Confess somebody else as Lord. You'll find out right then if your faith is genuine. Because I think only the Holy Spirit can give us the power to do that anyway. And there's coming another day on this earth when there's going to be a world ruler, Satan himself, who's going to stand himself up. The Bible says even in the holy temple in Jerusalem and say, I'm God. Worship me. Confess me as Lord. And you can live in my kingdom and you can buy and sell and have whatever you want in my kingdom. But if you don't confess me as Lord, I'll kill you. And it's going to be a lot of people that's going to say, Jesus is Lord, not you. That's genuine faith. And what about you? What about me? We've not been tested to that degree yet, but we're getting there. It's getting more and more difficult. You better be sure you have a genuine faith. Do you really have a heart that believes? Are you willing to confess no matter what that Jesus is Lord? And then the last testimony we hear from is the Scripture. You know what? We'll do this quickly. For the scripture saith, now we're going to hear from the word of God. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Remember, we've looked at that already from Isaiah 28 verse 16. It means to be embarrassed or to feel guilty, to be guilty over something. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you get to the end of your life and you go into eternity... The scripture says that if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't stand there 
and be ashamed of the fact that you believed on Him. You won't be disappointed. You won't look at yourself and say, you know, I'm ashamed of myself for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't say that. You won't be disappointed. You won't be embarrassed. Because you'll stand before God clean. All of your sins forgiven. You'll have nothing to be ashamed of. All of your works that you've done on earth, you won't have any reason to be ashamed of anything because all your sins have been forgiven and cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. This offer stands to everyone. Jew and Gentile. He says, verse 12, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. That's in the present tense. All that are calling upon Him. You call upon the Lord, He's got plenty of wealth, plenty of abundance, to pour out His grace, His salvation, His mercy on you and save your soul. But you got to call on Him. There again, we saw predestination in chapter 9. Here we're seeing man's responsibility. When God does call you, you got to answer the call. you got to call on Him. you got to put faith in Him. That's the only way you can receive salvation. In verse 13, For whosoever, literally, for all, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon comes from a word that means to entitle or invoke. When you entitle the Lord Jesus Christ by calling upon Him, believing on Him as Savior, confessing Him as Lord, and entitling Him to be your Savior and to be your Lord, the Bible says that when you do that, you can rest assured that you will be saved. We have a tendency, the devil likes to make us doubt our salvation. Think about it. Every time you're caught thinking about doubting whether you're saved or not, you're always thinking about, did you do something right? Did you do enough? Did you really understand? Right? It's always about what did you do? You don't have to do anything. It's already been done. All you have to do is believe it and confess it. Are you doing that? Do you believe in your heart? that Jesus Christ is the only Savior 
the only sacrifice that God will accept for your sins, that he has completely paid for your sins and that he is alive today. Do you, are you willing to confess with your mouth that that Savior is God? If you're believing that and you're confessing that, you're saved. And listen, all you're confessing when you confess Jesus as Lord is that He is God. Now, if He is God, and you truly believe that, of course, you'll have a desire in your heart to obey Him. Genuine confession of Jesus being Lord comes with a desire in your heart to obey Him. But that obedience, as we've already seen, is a learning process. Some people want to make this out to be that you make some kind of a known agreement in your heart and mind, you know, that I will obey Jesus and Jesus only from that point on. When when I got saved, I didn't understand all that. I was just a kid. I didn't make no kind of promise to God that I would uh, obey Him perfectly for the rest of my life. That's works anyway. But I believed he was God. I believe he died for my sins. I believe that he saved my soul. And I confessed that he was God. And, and, and honestly, from the moment I was saved, I've never had nothing but a desire in my heart to please him and to live for him and to obey him. But I do a miserable job at it. I really do a miserable job at it. But that desire is there. I want to. And there again, I think that's an indicator that you're truly saved. Remember Romans 6, 15 says that we've been given a new master. And you want to serve that new master. Romans 8 says that we're learning how to serve him. Remember? Because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why would he say that? Because we're learning to walk after the Spirit and not yield to members of our mortal body as weapons of unrighteousness to sin. Right? We're learning. But that's all salvation is. Confess and believe. If you got any doubts at all as to whether you're saved, if you're not sure that you've ever done that, please don't leave here today without talking to me or Brother Jesse. We'll stay here with you till we can nail it down. Because this is important. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, take this word, multiply it in our minds and in our hearts. Help everyone here, Lord, today to know for certain that they're saved. Help us not to make more out of it than we need to. It's simple. Confess you as Lord and believe in our heart 
You've been raised from the grave. But God help us to understand that that kind of confession, that kind of belief is genuine. Not just something we just say we've done and move on. It shows up every minute of every day in our life. Thank you for the salvation we have through Jesus Christ. I believe he's my Savior and I confess him as God. Bless this church for your glory. Bless those that couldn't be here today. Bless those, Lord, that have physical needs. That you'd heal their bodies in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name, amen.